Welcome to Saga Thing, where we're putting the sagas of the Icelanders on trial. I'm John. And I'm Andy. In each episode, we choose a saga, explore its themes and story, and judge the actions of its characters at the Saga Thing. And uh, for the very first time, I'm actually sitting next to you while we're recording a saga <laughs> review. This is crazy. Yeah, you look thinner in person. Oh, that's sweet of you. Well, you know, Skype, Skype adds about 10 pounds. Right. <laughs> uh, we're here at the International Congress on Medieval Studies in yes, sunny Kalamazoo, Michigan. Uh, we actually come here every May for the conference, and we've been threatening for a while to record an episode while we're here, but uh, things are always kind of hectic. Yeah, well, I, I would say this year wasn't any less hectic, but uh, maybe we're just getting more organized or yeah, something? probably not. No, I seriously uh, doubt it. No. Uh, we did get to meet some listeners during the conference this year, which was wonderful, yeah. uh, and we heard some great papers on saga studies. But now with the conference winding down, we've managed to find a little bit of time to talk about a saga. Yeah, it was a lot of fun meeting people who share our interests and enjoy the podcast. But uh, but after four days of that, we should also warn you that our voices are a little creaky. So uh, if, we <laughs> sound, if we sound a little raspy today, that's why. Or tired, yeah. Uh, there's a lot of late nights here. There's also something else that's very special about this recording. I don't know if you know. What else? I mean, well, we're about to discuss a saga, and it's not Njal's saga for the first time. Woohoo! Yeah. Uh, as much fun as we've had with Nyal and Scarpathen and Kari and the gang, it's time to get on with our quest to read and judge all the sagas. And what better way to follow up on the titanic scope of Nyal's saga than with the mighty saga of Thorstein the White. Uh, are you trying to make this one sound epic? Yes! Thorstein the White! <laughs> because, yeah, it's not epic at all. No, no. Yeah, it's, uh, it's about eight pages long. Yeah. Uh, well, in a modern print edition, sure. It's it's much longer in the original manuscript. Or if we if we condense it down to a very small size book, we can write it a lot longer. Right. Tiny pages. A couple words per page. Sure. Mm. But I don't think we can do that. Uh, we deliberately chose this one, though, because it's the shortest saga around. Yeah, what we did. Well, technically, no. Um, Alehood's saga is very slightly shorter, but there's some controversy about whether that one is even a saga. This is the shortest saga that we agree is the real thing. It's a diet saga. It's like a mini saga. A perfect little miniature of a saga, all a by little, itself. A little scale replica saga in a bottle. It's it's a it's a saget, which a little known fact is actually the correct pronunciation of uh, Bob Saget's name. Uh, saget sounds like a really kind of unappealing bread pudding made from a bagel or something. <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna lie, that sounds uh, pretty awful. But uh, how about we call it a sogling? A sogarine. <laughs> what? It's a Hiberno English diminutive ending, like smithereens. Uh-huh. Well, the point is that uh, Thorstein the White is a short saga, mm-hmm. but it, it can, does contain all the elements of a full saga narrative. By Joe, I think you found a segue. Hit the button before we lose it. I'm so happy to be on this new saga. I don't even care about no button. This saga follows a capable Icelandic farmer in Vopnafjord named Thorstein the White. Join us as we recount how he has a bunch of children who don't really enter the saga. How he loses his beloved wife Ingeborg, who you'll never really get to know. And how, despite growing blind in his later years, he still manages to run his farm with the help of his son Thorgils. There's not much to his story, if I'm being completely honest. But that doesn't mean this saga is without drama. In this saga, the action begins when Thorstein the Fair, a local boy who makes good as a merchant, betrothes himself to Helga Krakadotter, a beautiful maiden with huge tracts of land to inherit. But before Thorstein can claim his fair lady, a rival named Einar swoops in and claims her hand. Things escalate quickly between Einar and Thorstein, eventually leading to a sword fight down in a hole. That's right, a sword fight in a hole. But don't let the violence fool you. This is the story of Thorstein the Fair and his namesake Thorstein the White. 
How will the two men get along after one Thorstein wounds the other more deeply than compensation alone can heal? And who is that brutish but clever-looking boy standing out front of the elder Thorstein's house? Find out as Saga Thing takes on the Saga of Thorstein the White. Oh, this could be fun. Uh, the question is, now that we are apparently a podcast that covers a single text for 10 months, can we get this one eight-page saga done in less than five months? I think we can get it done in about five minutes. Uh, this really is a wee little saga. Well, we're not getting it done quickly if we keep talking about getting it done. Fair enough. Uh, so, to be honest, you might as well just sit back for a minute or two. It'll make up for the fact that we really haven't got much to say about this saga from a critical perspective. Even our old reliable Jonas Christensen just calls it a preamble to the Valpenferdinga saga. And he pretty much leaves it at that. Yeah, well, that's actually true. Uh, and we'll talk about that during this episode a little bit. But that's a pretty thin slice of pie for a poor Thorstein. Well, yeah, that's pretty much how it works for the saga. It, it comes up sometimes, but once people get done commenting on how short it is, they really don't have much else to say. It's true. <laughs> William Craigie calls it a, a short story which contains some typical elements, so he's obviously very impressed. <laughs> well, I mean, typical elements is a little bit of a chilly way to put it. Cowell Clover's a little bit more complimentary. She says that Thorstein the White has never enjoyed great critical attention or appreciation, but it is a paradigmatically structured and composed short saga. It's paradigmatically composed. Yeah, what? So that's typical. She's just saying typical. Yes, but it's a much nicer way of saying it. Uh-huh. And uh, does she say anything else beyond that? No, that's pretty much it. I mean, it's, this is uh, uh, her write-up for it for Medieval Scandinavia, the encyclopedia. Ah, there you go. It's, a, it's quite brief. A short it's entry. a write-up. Mm-hmm. Well, you wouldn't want to write more about it than is in the actual saga. Right, that's a good point. Uh, no, wait, I know, I know it's been a while since we introduced a new saga, but uh, surely we haven't forgotten what our handy metric of saga length. Uh, no, uh, the Hroffenkel measurement. Mm -hmm. uh, I hadn't forgotten, but I, I might have been hoping that you had. But again, not a chance. We need we need that measurement for sure. our, our sure. body density. So, so we measure all sagas against the first saga we read, Hroffenkel's saga. And by that standard, just how short a saga is this? I, I don't know, but I'm guessing that it's got to be less than a Hroffenkel. It's far shorter, but mm -hmm. uh, I'm hoping that you worked that out before we started. I was. I was setting it up. You were. Ah. Uh, the answer is very short. Uh, 0.39 Ravenkels, not even a half nickel. A half nickel. Mm -hmm. Great joke. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, if we don't get started soon, then we're going to have a longer intro than the saga itself. Mm. This isn't the wife of Bath, John. Let's get to the tale. <laughs> Ooh, somebody get Chaucer some aloe for that burn. Part one Thorstein the White and Thorstein the Fair. Okay, so this really is a short saga, but it's still a saga, which means we're going to start with a flurry of introductions. And this saga is no slouch. There's only eight chapters in the entire saga, and the first three are all taken up with listing the cast of characters for the story. <laughs> I mean, they're short chapters, just a couple of paragraphs each, but that just heightens the effect of being assaulted by a barrage of names. Well, you don't want to leave anybody out. Uh, well, by my count, there are 35 names in these three chapters. Uh, yeah, it sounds about right. Uh, but they're not all important, and they shake out into two groups. It's just that one of the groups is a bit large. Yeah, and let's get that one out of the way first. Okay. Uh, so this is Thorstein the White's family is the larger one. Uh, Thorstein moves to Iceland after the death of his father. He arrives toward the end of the settlement period, and so he has to buy land from a spendthrift in the area named Steinbjörn Court. Mm -hmm. Now, Thorstein the White is supposed to be a great-grandson of Hrolf the Walker, now, Saga fans will know Hrolf the Walker better as Rollo the Viking, mm -hmm. uh, the scourge of Paris and the founder of the Scandinavian dynasty in Normandy. 
Uh, but you just said supposed to be Rollo's great-grandson. Yeah, the genealogy doesn't really line up with any other sources on Rollo. Uh, but whether he's descended from Rollo or not, Thorstein's still an impressive guy. Well, you know, uh, after I read this, I looked into mm-hmm. the uh, Vapenfeldinger saga yep. uh, just to check out the genealogy there. Yep. And the genealogy is the same, except mm-hmm. Prof Walker is not on the list. Right. So what is it that this guy's doing here, trying to make everybody a little bit more impressive? or what's Yeah, going on? I mean, trying, to, trying to find links to other sagas, trying to find links to other stories and other places. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a pretty typical move for a saga writer to try to make those connections. Uh, remember, we saw that very strange connection in Ravenkel's saga. Uh, that the uh, that Thostersons had a third brother who was married to one of the nieces of Aelskal Grimson. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that brother is never attested, nor is that daughter ever attested. Yeah. Well, it's just interesting to me because this saga is often viewed as kind of written as a prologue to Vapenfeldinga saga. Right. And they have different genealogies. Yeah, yeah. It suggests that this, uh, this writer, um, given that no other source confirms this, uh, that this writer may be reaching a little far to make his connections. You know what? His saga is so short that he's just trying to spice it up a little there bit. There you go. Add a little pepper. Yeah. So Thorstein, despite arriving in Iceland late, ends up owning enough land that he eventually purchases a chieftaincy at Hof. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's quite popular with the ladies and, and the gentlemen, actually. He's just mm-hmm. generally well-liked. Yeah. And now that he's a chieftain and all, Thorstein settles down. He and his wife, Ingeborg, have five children, uh, three sons named Thorgils, Thord and Onund, and two daughters named Thorbjorg and Thora. All right, so again, we're back to that stage in the saga where you need to have your pen and paper out, uh-huh. and you're charting this so you can keep track of everybody that you won't really need to know about. <laughs> so, like a lot of Icelanders, Thorstein has something of a weakness for names with Thor in them, doesn't uh, he? He does, and I kind of wonder about that third son, Onund. The poor guy was left behind the door when the Thors were being handed out. <laughs> Sorry, son, I, I just wasn't paying attention when you were born, and your mother named you after the dog. <laughs> They have a dog named Onan. Well, I don't, I don't know if they do. I, I didn't say it was their dog, just a dog. Just a dog named Onan. Probably. Ah. Uh, so we pick up the story when Thorstein's children are already grown. His wife, Ingebjörg, dies of an illness. As he grows older, Thorstein the White develops an eye condition that eventually leaves him blind. And the saga doesn't seem too sure about what exactly goes on here. Uh, just that Thorstein developed such a serious eye condition that he lost his sight because of it. Uh, it sounds more like some kind of cataract or maybe an infection rather than just old age, but yeah. hard to say. Yeah, I was thinking something like maybe macular degeneration or something. Uh, Thorstein is an older man, but you're right. The saga treats this as something unexpected mm-hmm. and not like a natural result of aging. Right. Yeah. Uh, are you feeling okay, though? Hmm? I was expecting you to launch into a whole discussion of disabilities on the eyes, and that's <laughs> kind of your I'm thing. I'm tired. It's the end of, a, it's the, end of the conference. Yeah. I mean, I could, but I won't. Uh, I do want to acknowledge that Thorstein... Never remarries after the death of Ingebjörg. Uh, this is partly because his kids are grown. Right? Like uh, Thorstein the Black in Lockstall Saga or Aelskala Grimson, Thorstein the White chooses to live with one of his children rather than remarry. Mm-hmm. Uh, Orrin Falk, by the way, has argued that this was an exceptional case and was more likely if the widower was older or disabled. And both are the case for Thorstein the White. Interesting. Did Orrin Falk uh, write at all about Thorstein the White? Uh, it's merely a reference uh, uh, in a discussion that he makes about it. I was hoping somebody somewhere had yeah, written no. something. Uh, that we could look into, yeah. but uh, sure. Uh, so Ingebjörg's death is also treated as a great loss for Thorstein personally. Uh, it, it suggests that they had a happy marriage, and and maybe that Thorstein didn't want to remarry. Oh, sure, sure. And by the way, that's another similarity to Aelskala Grimson. Mm-hmm. It tends to grieve more openly than most other men. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, now, even though we're kind of off on a tangent about him, this is probably a good time to mention that Thorstein the White isn't really the central figure of the saga that we're calling Thorstein the White saga. Right. 
Uh, he's got a couple of important moments coming up, but this saga is really about the next generation. Thorstein saga TNG. <laughs> now we're stuck thinking of Patrick Stewart as Thorstein. I would accept that if you get him his hair <laughs> off, kind of frizzed out. Sure. But uh, Thorstein's wife dies, and mm-hmm. Thorstein can't run the farm anymore without his sight, so he turns the farm over to his son Thorgils. Mr. Thorgils, you have the calm. Oh, are you still going to do Star Trek? Is it- yes. <laughs> Make it so. <laughs> Okay, now I'm going to be stuck thinking about that too. <laughs> anyway, uh, so Thorgils is in his early 20s. Mm-hmm. He was fostered by a local troublemaker named Hrani Goldhat. Nicknames! Absolutely. Uh, and I look forward to hearing what that's all about. <laughs> so now Thorgils takes over the farm and he gets married to a woman named Osvor Thorstalter, uh, who's a relative of Hrani's. Mm-hmm. Now they have a boy and a girl, Helgi and Gudrun. Uh, and through Osvor, Thorgils also has a brother-in-law named Einar Thorsen who's brave but undersized and kind of a loudmouth. Yeah. So that's it, right? Thorstein the White of Hof, his three sons and two daughters, led by Thorgils, his daughter-in-law and her brother, and a couple of grandkids. I think that's that's pretty good, right? Yep. Don't forget the two family friends, Thorkel Flatter and Thorbjorn of Svenensvik, who are both men of good reputation. Oh, I wouldn't dream of forgetting them. Because I was building a genealogy for this thing, <laughs> and then there's that whole series yeah, of paragraphs. Yeah, sort of off in the... And so I had to just create a spot for random people. Right, right. There's extras in this one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's the big group. And there's also a second family in the area made up of Thorfinn of Skegistathr and his three sons, Thorstein the Fair, Einar, and Thorkel. Thorstein the Fair is the oldest. He's already spent several years sailing outside of Iceland and amassing wealth. Mm-hmm. So the two main people in the saga are named Thorstein the White and Thorstein the Fair. Yeah, I know. We've also already had two Anars, by the way. Yes. Uh, now, again, Thorstein the White isn't really the central figure. Right? He's just the guy the saga is named after. Yeah, but at some point, I feel like these two Thorsteins are going to come together. Yes. And it's going to get very confusing. It is. I move that we call him Thorstein the White, and then we just say Thorstein when we mean Thorstein the Fair. Is that so fair? moved. So, Thorstein the Fair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> See? Thorstein's meant to be a dashing figure in this saga, but... He gets a pretty pedestrian start here. He's successful, but that's about all we get from him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then two things happen that kick the saga into gear. Well, they better happen fast. I mean, this saga's fun size, remember? Time's a-wasting. Well, the first thing to happen is that Einar Thorsen, the short and talkative brother-in-law of Thorgils Thorstensen over at Hof, comes calling one spring as Thorsten's preparing another voyage and wants to enter into a partnership with him. Now, I have a question here. Why would Thorstein need a partner? He's been doing very well on his own, isn't he? Oh, he's doing very well, yeah. but that's exactly why you know, wants to, he wants to get in on this. I see. Uh, Thorstein's proven to be both talented and lucky at seafaring, and that's the kind of business partner I'd want. There's another factor, of course. These sea voyages are always risky, and having Einar as a partner in a ship helps to defray some of the financial risk to Thorstein. Of course, that means he's got to put up with Einar, and Einar's a man with an iffy reputation. True, and the saga author says that Einar's a real loudmouth and only moderately well-liked. Moderately. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of like us. But uh, at first, the partnership goes well. Yeah, at first is always an ominous qualifying statement. Well, it could be worse. It's another ominous statement. (laughs) Uh, But yes, it goes well for a while. Uh, On one of their visits back to Iceland, Thorstein's father Thorfinn encourages him to consider settling down. Thorstein wants to return to the sea, but he agrees to seek the hand of Helga Krakadotter, a beautiful young woman. Well, and she's also desirable because she's the only child of the wealthy landowners, Kraki and Gudrun of Krakalek. Okay, that doesn't hurt either. 
but Thorstein does seem legitimately interested in her. This isn't just a cash grab. Oh, definitely not. Uh, he, he's interested. Um, but my point is that he's not the only one who's into her. Oh, oh, no, no. She's got a number of men in the district who would happily marry her. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Thorstein's got the inside track. Oh, and why wouldn't he? Yeah, Helga's considered the best woman in all the Filtstall district, and uh, she look, likes the look of Thorstein. So everything's arranged mm-hmm. pretty quickly. So Helga and Thorstein will be married as soon as Thorstein makes one last voyage with Einar. Nothing ominous there, is there? No, what could go wrong? We've never yeah. seen this motif before, have we? <laughs> well, Thorstein could get sick on the voyage. That'd be new. Mm. His teeth could loosen. His hair could begin to fall out. He could begin to develop sores on his skin. And in fact, all those things happen because Thorstein has scurvy. <laughs> Hooray! I thought you were going to say he got, uh, he got radiation poisoning. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, so the hooray is that you're pro-scurvy? Well, no, but I, I like that the saga mentions the problem of scurvy. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, this is actually the earliest mention of scurvy in an Icelandic text. Yeah. But we, uh, there, and there's something that people should be writing about. Yeah. I mean, come on. We might also assume that the problem existed, of course, and that ship's crews faced it regularly, and maybe this isn't that noteworthy. But can we? I mean, that's, <clears throat> is, it's curious that it doesn't come up more often. But I think that in itself might be a clue that they actually knew how to take care of the problem. Yeah. Right? Icelanders definitely knew about the problem of scurvy. And they had multiple options for offsetting its effects. Uh, scurvy grass, which is a kind of grass that's full of vitamin C, was one dietary supplement. Mm-hmm. Uh, seaweed was another, uh, also packed with vitamin C. Various fruits and vegetables could supply the needed nutrients on voyages. And then there's uh, Viljama Stephenson's raw fish. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> Don't be snide. Uh, Stephenson was an early 20th century anthropologist who theorized that the Inuit didn't get scurvy because of the amount of uncooked or undercooked meat that they ate. Really? So why is that? Well, um, it turns out vitamin C breaks down rather quickly under heat. Huh. Uh, And there's enough vitamin C in animals who live in cold climates as long as you don't destroy it by roasting it all away. And when people didn't believe him, by the way, uh, Stephenson spent a year on an all-meat diet in 1928, just to prove his point. So this sounds suspiciously like Super Size Me, Viking edition. <laughs> I'm going to eat I'm gonna only lie. vaguely I, cooked meat. Right. I, I would totally watch that. <laughs> now, let's get back to the saga here. As interesting as the scurvy trials are. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we left poor Thorstein with loose teeth and running sores. All ah, right. Uh, so once the ship reaches Norway, Thorstein takes a room and begins the slow recovery process. But Einar has been taking advantage of the situation to gain the upper hand on his more popular partner. He turns the crew against him, making fun of his weakness, and generally acts like a jerk. Yeah, actually, it gets even worse. Einar mm. has slanderous verses composed about Thorstein. It's not clear that Thorstein knows who's behind the verses, but really, there aren't a lot of candidates because Einar is the ringleader of the group. Right. It's not like Thorstein has a slew of Norwegian enemies looking to sully his good name. There's just this yeah, one guy. No. Aside from being a crappy thing to do, this is also a violation of an unspoken code we've talked about before. Icelanders usually prefer to keep a united front around Norwegians. Mm-hmm. Right, but Einar clearly isn't constrained by any codes of good behavior. He's no, he's going to do what he wants no. to do. No, he's really not. Uh, in fact, Einar next asks Thorstein to dissolve their partnership on the grounds that Thorstein is dying. Which he isn't. He's just got scurvy. No, he's not dying. He's getting better. It's just a scurvy wound. <laughs> Uh, but it's not like Thorstein is thrilled with Einar at this point, right. so he happily divvies up their stuff, and Einar chooses the ship. Mm-hmm. He then sails for Iceland that summer, where he tells everyone that can hear him that Thorstein was at death's door when he left. Yeah, this is definitely starting to sound familiar. Yeah, I just can't recall where we've seen this before. Mm-hmm. And then 
Einar busies himself slandering Thorstein further around Iceland. And later that fall, a ship from Norway comes and Einar rushes down and meets with some of the sailors before they get off and says, I'll pay you if you announce that Thorstein has died in his sickbed in Norway. Okay, yeah, now this is officially sounding awfully familiar. It is, isn't it? It sounds exactly like one of the warrior poet saga love triangles. Right, all that's missing is for Einar to make a play for Helga while Thorstein's away. Oh, you've been reading ahead, have you? Part 2. The rest of the saga. (laughs) Part 2. The rest of the saga. Yeah, we said this was a short one. Okay, so sure enough, Einar and his father, Thorir, now ask Kraki of Krakalak. I like that name. Mm-hmm. Kraki of Krakalak. Kraki of Krakalak. Uh, he, they ask him for his daughter Helga's hand. But this is where Einar's plan hits a little bit of a snag. Yeah, uh, it turns out that Kraki isn't a fool. And he wants more time to learn whether Thorstein is actually dead before he breaks the engagement. Which is reasonable. Mm-hmm. And I think in some of the warrior poet sagas where we saw this, would have been a logical kind of thing to right. ask. People are a little too trusting. Yeah. He's dead, you say? Well, give, take my daughter. <laughs> yeah, the whole situation plays out very differently from Thorstein's proposal, mainly in Helga's role in the conversation. Mm-hmm. When Thorstein asks for her hand, he asks both her father and her. Helga's consent in marriage was actively considered. This is something we talked about before. Uh, but this time, Einar only asks Kraki. And there's no mention of Helga even being present at the meeting. Yeah, it's a nice touch. And it also feeds this idea that the saga parallels the romance elements of the warrior poet sagas. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, but Kraki's uh, reluctance means that Einar has to try kind of applying pressure to this. Mm-hmm. After all, he doesn't have a lot of time. He needs to right. get married before uh, uh, Thorstein gets back. Right, Einar knows Thorstein's alive in Norway. He doesn't want the alleged corpse showing up and denying that he's dead. Time's <laughs> yeah. a bit of a factor here. So Einar turns to his friend Thorgils, the oldest son of Thorstein the White, but Thorgils doesn't want to be involved. He says, to my mind, Kraki's acting reasonably, and I would do the same thing if I were him. Mm-hmm. Which is obviously not what Einar wants to hear. No. Uh, fortunately, he's got a fellow troublemaker willing to advocate for him. Thorgil's foster father, Hrani Goldhat. Look, I don't care how shiny this guy's hat is. Why is he getting involved? <laughs> well, he's a relative of Einar's. Uh, the saga's vague on the details, but Hrani is related to Einar's mother. Okay. So with Hrani and Einar pushing him, Thorgils agrees to throw his weight behind Einar's proposal. But as he says... I do not have a good feeling about this affair having fallen into my hands. So basically he's saying, I've got a bad feeling about this. Yes, young Skywalker. (laughs) (laughs) So with Thorgil's forcing the issue, Crocky agrees to the marriage. With Helga still never having been consulted, by the way. Right. But they're married anyway, and they lived happily ever after. No, they didn't. No, they definitely did not. Nope. (laughs) Kind of works out that way, especially when the women aren't consulted. Yep. Because Thorstein is back on his feet in Norway. Mm-hmm. And as soon as he's on his feet, he hops on a ship and he sails home the following summer, uh, presumably with lots of oranges to suck on. Right, right. His plan is to sell the ship, retire to his farm, and begin his married life with Helga. Oof, that's awkward. Yeah, I imagine the <laughs> landing is saying, so where's Helga? Where's my betrothed? I'm sure he's telling everybody on the boat, she's, I'm sure she's out on the dock waiting for me to show up. She'll have flowers in her hair. <laughs> Um, but, uh, of course, he learns about Einar's betrayal pretty quickly, and Thorstein doesn't say anything. Mm-hmm. So he just buys a new ship and makes arrangements to go abroad immediately with his brothers Thorkel and Einar Thorfinnsson. Right, and there's another bit of confusion here. Right? We said we've got two guys named Einar as well. Uh, fortunately, that's not going to be a problem much longer. <laughs> no, no, it's not. The Thorfinnsons have to collect some debts that they're owed before leaving, so Thorstein is left waiting at the dock. 
but his Norwegian crew starts complaining about the delay. Thorstein finally tells them to wait for seven days while he rides out to find his brothers. He's not going to find his brothers. No, he's not. Would you? Not well. He knows where his brothers are. Exactly. So he rides in a series of misdirected arcs until he's near Einar's farm at uh, Atlavik. Mm-hmm. And when he arrives there, he tells a serving woman named Osk that his name is Sigurd, and he's there to see Einar to pay a debt. Sure he is. Well, he is there to pay a yes, debt. Yes, he is. Uh, now, inside the house, Einar's still asleep, which is not a compliment to him since all the other men of the house are already out in the fields. And when he comes out, he sees Thorstein, and he's caught off guard. Mm-hmm. Thorstein demands compensation for the insults he received from Einar in Norway, but Einar refuses. Now, I find this part a little odd that he doesn't say, why did you marry my betrothed? Instead, yeah. he's just focused on the humiliation. So clearly it's an honor thing, but... It is an honor thing, but of course, whether he likes it or not, and whether it was done under false pretenses or not, Einar is married to Helga. Oh, yeah. If he starts suggesting that he is still in love with Helga and wants her, he is then in violation of the law. Because making overtures of love to somebody else's wife is a punishable offense. I do think he could make the argument, if this this author really wanted to, Mm -hmm. that the marriage between Einar and Helga is illegal. Because it violates absolutely, it absolutely violates the contract that he had with uh, with uh, her father, right? Cracky but, of Krakalak, her good old Cracky of Krakalak. <laughs> uh, but of course, Cracky can claim that he made an attempt to delay and that he was given good information that Thorstein had died. And yeah, it get very messy. It could get very messy. The point is, his honor seems to me to be far more important than his interest in Helga and her. I'm not sure that's true. I think he knows. I suspect he knows what's going to happen next. And he's setting up a pretext for that. Yeah, I mean, we saw something like this in Njal Saga with uh, Killer Hrop insulting the uh, Helge and Grim Njalsson. Right, right. Um, they came back and they also wanted to fight over the dishonor yep. that they, yep. they had received. So, I mean, it's not unlikely that he's going to do what he's about to do. Um, I, I wonder if people are, can guess what he's about to do. Oh, I think they probably know. Yeah? Yeah. Mm-hmm. We've got a body count of zero so far in this saga. We gotta... Oh, well, when Einar turns to go back inside... Mm-hmm. Thorstein takes that opportunity to stick a spear straight through Einar's back, and it comes out his chest. Mm. He falls forward into the house, dead as a doornail. Yeah, it's not a great death, really. Uh, although it couldn't have happened to a more deserving guy. Well, I think it's just about time. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I was starting to worry there weren't going to be any deaths, because I was literally near the end of the saga already. <laughs> uh, now, Thorstein rides away and back to the ship, but he stops a couple of places along the way to add to his cover story that he's just out looking for his brothers. And meanwhile, Osk sends word to Thorir of the death of his son, Einar, and Thorir passes the word to Thorgils and his brothers about the killing. Mm-hmm. So with Hrani Goldhat once more egging them on, Thorir, Thorgils, and their friend Thorkel Flettir lead a group of seven men on the hunt for Thorstein. Right. So now we have three groups riding around. Most of them with the name Thor somewhere in yes. their name. Yes. Uh, Thorstein the Fair is out by himself. His brothers, Einar and Thorkel, are together somewhere else. And Thorgil's posse of seven riders is now running around trying to find Thorstein. Mm-hmm. And all of them are operating in fairly close proximity to each other. Which means that the smart thing to do is to just stop and take a nap. Obviously. Which is what Einar and Thorkel do. <laughs> they rest at the home of Thorbjorn, who's a good friend of both sides in the conflict. Yeah, uh, Thorbjorn's a peacemaker. Mm-hmm. His major concern is to avoid a bloody war between these two groups. So he's trying to hurry the brothers along to their ship. That's right. Now, he's, a, he's a friend of uh, Thorstein the White, so he's mm-hmm. invested in the side. But before the brothers can even wake up from their naps, Thorgil, Srani, Thorkofletir, and their men have the shielding where they're sleeping surrounded. Now, Thorbjorn hides the brothers in a hastily dug hole behind the door, but the attackers have spotted the brothers' horses and know that they're inside. Right. And Hrani advocates killing Thorbjorn outright. 
but the others don't want to do that. Instead, they distract Thorbjorn while Thorkel Fletter climbs over the back wall of the house and grabs Thorbjorn in a bear hug. Then, while Thorbjorn begs him to stop, Thorgils leaps down into the hole where the brothers are hiding. There's not a brief a, struggle. Not a good idea. And the brothers kill Thorgils there in the pit. Poor Thorgils. I felt really bad for him when this happened. Yeah. Because yeah. he's not a bad guy. But not a smart thing to do. Oh, well, to be fair, he didn't know there was a hole there. He just walked through the no, door. He jumped in. He jumps in? Yeah. That's not a smart thing to no. do. There's two <laughs> guys really with swords not. down there. Oh, well. Uh, it's got to be a brutal fight. I mean, yeah. three men fighting fully armed in a small hole in the ground. It's just <laughs> nasty. Well, it's about to get worse. Uh, the other men surround the pit and began stabbing down at the Thorfinnson brothers. Mm. Yeah, it's a bloodbath. Both brothers are killed, but they do kill two more unnamed men and injure Honey Goldhead before they die. Yeah, when it's all over, Thorbjorn is released and he's left to care for the Thorfinnson's bodies and belongings. And uh, presumably to deal with the big blood-soaked hole in the floor. Right. Uh, but first he brings the brother's stuff to Thorstein's ship and tells him of his brother's deaths. Thorstein actually takes it pretty well. Actually, I did pause at that. Yeah. It's, it's pretty much like your brothers are dead, but he's like, I'm going to get on the ship. Thanks for right. all the help. <laughs> this all worked out More for me. More room for me. <laughs> but uh, I guess we can assume that a few manly tears are shed in private once he mm. gets on the ship. Um, but publicly, though, Thorstein accepts the news and follows through on his plan to leave Iceland. So he sails away. And it's not all that sure whether he ever intends to return at this point. Right, right. Meanwhile, Hrani Goldhat rides to Thorstein the White and announces the deaths of the Thorfinsons and the other two men. Mm -hmm. But Thorstein the White is suspicious and asks, And where's my son, Thorgils? He is also dead. Oh, you tell the news fiendishly. You and your advice have always led to trouble. Now, we've seen several of these scenes in the sagas. A parent being told of the news of a son's death mm -hmm. and responding with contempt for the messenger. This one's a little different, I think. It usually, it's usually a mother who receives the news, and presumably old Thorstein's blindness excuses him from violent reprisal, so he can fit into this narrative convention. Right. And there's actually another difference. Uh, Hrani was on Thorgil's side in the fight. Mm -hmm. These reporters are usually openly hostile, which to my mind makes Thorstein's insult all the more satisfying. Mm. Uh, Hrani's not hostile. He's just a creep. Yeah. So, so now a few things happen in quick succession. The now-absent Thorstein the Fair's enemies successfully pursue a sentence of outlawry against him for the slaying of Einar Thorson. Right. Now, it's not stated in the saga whether this is a full outlawry or the minor three-year version. Well, usually if a saga doesn't specify, it's safer to assume major outlawry, but in this case it might not be, as we'll soon see. Right. Now, I get the impression the author isn't really interested in the details of legal cases, as the author of Njal's saga was, for example. Or the details in anything, really. Right. Right. That's true. This is the sort of situation that Njal would have handled like, and made a full meal of. An entire chapter on the minutiae of the case and its legal merits, the machinations of the lawyers, and so on. But in this saga... In so this much. saga, it's handled in a single sentence. Yeah. He's got other things on his mind, this author. Well, whatever he's planning on, it better happen soon. He's almost out of saga. Yeah. We'll see, though. Uh, meanwhile, the aged Thorstein the White takes over running his farm again, despite his blindness. He also takes over raising his three-year-old grandson, Helgi Thorgelson. Right. Now, Helgi's going to become known as Broad Helgi in adulthood, and he'll be a leading figure in the saga of the people of Vapnefjord. But for now, he's a young lad of uncertain toilet training skills whose father has been killed. Why has he got uncertain toilet training skills? He's three. Oh. I assume that he can go wherever he wants. Anyway, <laughs> it's kind of sad thinking about that. That he can go wherever he wants. <laughs> the dead father or the soiled diaper? Which one are you upset about? Well, I mean, neither of them is good news. Although I would say 
that if you have a three-year-old and you live kind of in those circumstances, mm-hmm. I bet he doesn't wear diapers. Right, right. He just, just runs around and right. lets it go. Just going free. Yeah. But it, come on now. This is a kid that lost his father. That's tearjerker stuff. You got a little yeah. innocent three-year-old with no daddy. I know. Niagara Falls, Frankie Angel. Mm-hmm. Why don't you just play uh, Cats in the Cradle while you're at it? Well, I'm sorry. I didn't write this. Uh, it's, Cats in the Cradle doesn't really work, though, because the dad's definitely never coming home in this situation. There's at least the hope. Well, you don't know when. <laughs> well, you, I think you do. I think you do. Uh, anyway, uh, Broadhilge is not going to be a toddler for long because the saga is going to take a five-year leap forward in time. Boing. So uh, we need to get into our time machine. Okay. Well, what we need is a time travel longship. Do we have one of those? Wait, hang on. What does a time travel longship look like? Is this going to be a DeLorean-style raiding ship or more of a classic H.G. Wells steampunk Corsair? Tell me it's not a Doctor Who TARDIS nor. I don't know why you have to ask. It's got a flux capacitor, gullwing doors, and when it hits 88 knots per hour, you're going to see some serious stuff. Whale roads? Where we're going, we don't need whale roads. <laughs> Doc! <laughs> now that I come to think of this, I don't know if gullwing doors are a great idea in a boat. I don't... <laughs> Probably not. I don't think that's going to work. Uh, however you choose to travel, come with me five years into the future, where the increasingly elderly Thorstein the White is still managing his farm... Now with the help of the strapping eight-year-old Broadhelgi Thorson. So we're about in the uh, mid, mid-10th mid century now. Yeah, somewhere around there, maybe 940 or so. Okay. And one day when Broadhelgi is out in front of the house, five men come riding along, led by the newly returned Thorstein the Fair. Ah, so Broadhelgi is the son of Thorgils, the man that Thorstein the Fair's brothers killed five years ago. Right. So this is probably going to be a fairly awkward reunion. Actually, you'd think so, but Broadhelgi's still only eight. There's not necessarily a lot he can do right now. And besides, it's not clear that Broadhelgi even recognizes Thorstein. Well, I mean, there's no reason to think that Thorstein would be around. Mm-hmm. He was outlawed after all, right? So True. So doesn't need to know. Uh, and whether he recognizes Thorstein or not, Broadhelgi invites the strangers into the farm to meet with his grandfather, Thorstein the White. Yeah, and this is the first time in the saga we actually have these two meeting face-to-face. Mm-hmm. So we really are going to have to work to keep clear who's who. And I think the, uh, yeah. the saga author... Struggles with this a little bit as well. A little bit, yeah, yeah. But we'll do our best. Uh, Thorstein the White asks who comes to who's come to visit, and Thorstein the Fair gives his name. And Thorstein the White replies, "Did you think my trials too few, blind and old as I am, that you had to pay me a visit as well?" Which is a snappy line, but it's also a fair point. Mm-hmm. Even though Thorstein the Fair wasn't directly involved in the fight that got Thorgils killed. He's the closest living relative of Thorgils' killers, and he kind of caused the whole thing in the first well, place. You know. And now here he is with an armed band of men confronting an old man and his grandson. Okay, but Thorstein the Fair also lost his brothers in that fight. They were killed by men led by Thorgils. So both of these men suffered great losses. But only Thorstein the Fair has been punished by the law. Yeah, that's true, but he also started the violence by killing Einar, Thorgils' friend. Well, I mean, I think that gets the real issue in the story. And it's something of a trope in the sagas. Right? Good men who end up going into battle against each other because of the meddling of lesser men or women. It's a tragic motif. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and I think uh, I think of someone like Morth Valgerson in Yal Saga or the dastardly Henthor in Henthor Saga. <laughs> you just love bringing him up. Well, I mean, people don't think of Henthor enough. And True. We must curse his memory as much right. as we can. Right. So the real issue here is whether the two Thorsteins can find a way to reconcile after the losses that both have suffered because of men like Einar and Ronnie Goldhat. Yeah, I think so. And really, to the degree that this saga is about something, that's what it's about, I think. Anyway, Thorstein the Fair is here to patch things up, not uh-huh. to kill. Uh, so he offers to make a compensation settlement for the death of Thorgils. 
which I have to say is pretty generous, given that Thorstein lost, lost both of his brothers in the same fight and got no compensation for them. Yeah, but Thorstein the White isn't interested. He says, I've no wish to have my son Thorgils in a purse. It's another good line. It's a great line. Uh, but Thorstein the Fair now makes an extreme gesture. He kneels before Thorstein the White and places his head on the older man's knee. Thorstein the White takes this as an offer of the younger Thorstein's head, which it might or might not be. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't want that either. I don't want to have your head struck off your shoulders. Ears fit best where they grow. <laughs> Old Thorstein is just an aphorism machine oh, yeah. in the scene. Well, he's got nothing else to do. Well, right, right. Sits around thinking up clever witticisms. Yeah. Uh, but he's, he's touched by young Thorstein's determination, and so he offers a settlement. Thorstein the Fair must sell his ship, move into Thorstein the White's home, and help run the farm there for as long as he's needed. Yeah, that's a tall order, but Thorstein the Fair doesn't hesitate. No. Uh, John, can I ask a quick question? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can. Yeah. I thought you were serious. Go on. <laughs> um, when uh, Thorstein the Fair puts his head in Thorstein the White's lap, mm-hmm. is that a is that a Christian gesture? Where does that come from? No, it's it's a gesture of submission. Of course, yeah. Uh, and so the, it probably has, or I would think it has more in common with uh, secular traditions of uh, pledging fealty to a king or a lord, mm-hmm. right? placing your head or your sword hands. Uh, in the lap of the king. Gotcha. Uh, at least that's what it reads like to me. Yeah. Well, if anybody knows of other episodes where you see that kind of thing, uh, get in touch with us. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm curious about that one. Um, okay, back to the story. Right. Um, so as Thorstein gets up to go st- sell his ship, he stops at the door where Brodhelgi is playing with Thorstein's gold-inlaid spear. And he offers it to Brodhelgi as a gift. Generosity just doesn't stop with this guy. Well, he's generous, sure, but... Maybe not so bright, possibly. Mm. Is it smart to give a weapon to a kid who might still resent your connection to his father's death? That's a legit question. Uh, Thorstein the White tells Brodhelgi to accept the gift and return the favor as best you can, which certainly has two possible meanings. Yeah. Right? Is old Thorstein telling Brodhelgi to be grateful for the gift and to behave himself? Or is he making a dark joke about repaying young Thorstein with the spear? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, but when I read it, I read it as analogous to Njal's interactions with Halskold Thrainson. Mm-hmm. Remember that after Thrain is killed by the Njalsons, uh, we see a similar scene where Njal interacts with the young Halskold Thrainson. Uh, he's a bit more direct in the conversation and the meaning of the, the gift to Halskold than Thorstein is. But uh, I think the intention is to say, I'm sorry, and then to give a lavish gift to pay a form of compensation. Mm-hmm. And by offering this gift, Thorstein may be trying to head off any potential for Broad Helgi to avenge his father. Um, sure, Thorstein the White's comment has double meaning, but I, I got to think it's a it's kindness. This is supposed to be moving in the right direction. Well, I know it's kindness on young Thorstein's part. The question is whether old Thorstein is getting in a little dig there. Well, he did say that I want you to come and work my farm for me. Sure. So why would you get the guy that right. is going to do that to be well, killed? I think as you know, as we'll see later on, it becomes much clearer that. Old Thorstein is, in fact, telling Brodhelgi to behave himself. Yeah. Uh, Uh, Yeah. So the two Thorsteins are now reconciled. And in fact, they live together for eight years. And both are substantially supportive of one another. Mm -hmm. Uh, Young Thorstein manages the farm so well that old Thorstein's livestock are thriving and on the increase. But old Thorstein is maybe an even better ally. Mm. He pushes for young Thorstein to ask once more for the hand of Helga Krakadotter. And uh, he even pays for and hosts the entire wedding when she says yes. Yeah, this is just too weird as an ending to a saga. It is. Everyone left alive is happy. It seems unnatural. 
Well, and it's also weird because Helga's so much not a part of the story that mm-hmm. to suddenly reintroduce her as if it was a major theme of right. the, the story. Well, there, there are just parts odd. of this that feel very much as if the seeds of a warrior poet romance are, are all there. Yeah. And they just never quite take root. Yeah, didn't flesh it out. You know, in some ways, parts of this remind me of the ending of Njal's Saga. Yeah, everything reminds us of Njal's Saga now. Yeah, we've already done it like three or four yeah. times. I think we're permanently broken. <laughs> no, I mean the uh, the reconciliation between Flossie and Kari at the end of the saga. Yeah, I know what you mean. Uh, it's, it's obviously much smaller scale, but it's the same vibe. Yeah. Right? Men of good character eventually putting violence behind them. Mm-hmm. And not because of a big showy settlement, because they just choose a better and more peaceful way. Yeah, William Craigie says of this ending that the reconciliation is a fired example of magnanimity, which stands in strong contrast to the implacable spirit of the ordinary blood feud. Again, very much like Nell Saga, where Kari explicitly says that he's going to test Flosi's generosity of spirit by offering reconciliation. Yeah, sure. But in Nell Saga, that happens. We, we just can't help talking about Nell Saga. Mm-hmm. That happens pretty clearly as a result of Christianization. But in this saga, we're still at least 50 years before the conversion in Iceland at uh, around 1000. Right. And this is a little different, right? The Thorsteins are behaving like proto-Christians. But there really aren't any trappings or any hints that we're supposed to read them that way. Mm-hmm. But again, that happens a lot in the sagas mm-hmm. where um, you've, you've got people behaving that way, but it's just too far in before Christianity mm-hmm. to really work. Um, it's more of an assertion of power, maybe, of high-minded people to put violence aside. Uh, it's a good thing. I mean, you don't have to be Christian to know that that's a good thing to do. Right. The saga makes a point of calling young Thorstein the Fair a most valiant man, while old Thorstein the White is called a very powerful and respected man. Right. So two men of admirable character are able to overcome their desire for vengeance. Mm-hmm. If that happens to look a lot like a Christian solution to the saga's audience in the 14th century, so be it. Okay, but as you know, it's not quite that simple. After eight mm-hmm. years, old Thorstein tells young Thorstein it's time for him to go. Old Thorstein's now quite old and preparing for his death. It's good that he's got that awareness. Mm-hmm. And he's worried about the way that Brodhelgi's been acting lately. Yeah, the saga doesn't offer details, but... Brodhelgi's been acting, I mean, he's been acting like a brooding teenager, which is exactly what he is at this point. And old Thorstein is worried that if young Thorstein is still around when he dies, Brodhelgi might look for a chance to attack. Which actually means that young Thorstein, his wife, and their parents all end up selling their holdings in Iceland and moving back to Norway. That's an unusual ending for a saga. Mm-hmm. Repatriating to Norway is not how these stories generally end, which I think is part of it suggests something of the lateness of this saga that you would, that would even be an option. Um, but that's how it turns out. They move to Hologaland in northern Norway, and Thorstein the Fair spends the rest of his life there, quite happily living with his family. And Thorstein the White lives one more year before dying of old age himself. Right, and we're almost done. But there is one more story about Brodhelgi, which pretty much confirms his grandfather's worst fears about him. Yeah, but let, so let's just cover this briefly, since it's going to come up again in Vatnafjörda Saga. Uh, Brodhelgi's watching his livestock one day when a bull from the neighbor's yard gets into a fight with the bull in his own yard. The other bull's winning the fight, but Brodhelgi calls his own bull over and ties a pair of ice spurs to his bull's forehead. Mm. It then slashes the other bull to death. Holy crap. I know, right? Oh, it's, I mean, isn't that a sign of a serial killer or something? Or a really smart kid. <laughs> well, there's a reason that Thorstein the Fair needed to get out of Iceland. Yeah, Brodhelgi has some serious problems. I don't know if he has problems. Well, I, well it, is, it is a fair point. A childhood tendency toward casual cruelty to animals and people, sometimes it's a sign of great things to come for saga figures. <laughs> we'll have to keep an eye on this kid in the future. I don't know if this is cruelty to animals. This is just uh, helping, helping his own it's bull out. It's not kindness to animals. I don't think PETA would approve. 
No, but you know, that bull should mind his own business and stay out of his yard. But that's the problem for another saga. And, and that's really about it. The whole thing's over. Yep. Just like that. Well, it does end with a, another quick genealogy thing. Yeah, but and, nothing, uh, nothing terribly important to the story we're telling. Yeah. But we will cover that next time in uh, when we actually do the saga, where they do the genealogy all over. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I think it's time that we, uh, we judge this saga. Are we really going to get this all of this into one episode? I know, it's amazing, isn't it? When's the last time we did this? Uh, I don't know. All right, here we go. It's time to judge the saga of Thorstein the White. Best Bloodshed. <laughs> Uh, so do you have uh, a lot of candidates? Is this going to take us a long time to get through? No, I think we've only got about two or three possible moments. I mean, this is a this is not a saga that has a ton of violence. No, it's I really I've only I can only think of a couple mm-hmm. um, and only one that's really good. Well, where do you want to start? Well, I, I think we should consider Anar's death um, sure. because it's the first. We have to consider every death, <laughs> right? Well, it's the first major bit of bloodshed that mm-hmm. we get. Um, uh, we do get a spear going through his back, right. uh, coming out his chest. He falls forward. We'll get to a witty line that came up at that moment. Mm-hmm. And it was satisfying because I really don't like Anar. I right. think I he deserved it. I like about him. All right. I, I'll grant you that one. Uh, but we do have a, a bloodier, more spectacular moment later in the saga when Thorgils attacks the, Thor, the Thorfinsons uh, in the home of Thorbjorn. Yes. Uh, now, I know there's a lot of Thors there, but <laughs> this is the fight in the pit inside the shaling. Uh, and Thorgils jumps down into the pit where the brothers are hiding. And there's a what must be a brutal fight with the three of them in a small pit together. See, I, I, I like that you read it that way because I just think of him jumping down and then immediately regretting the decision as swords <laughs> slide up his ribcage. Uh, but then, of course, the rest of Thorgils' men surround the pit and begin stabbing down as the brothers stab up. Yeah. Uh, and so they're just, I mean, there's blood pouring everywhere. There's bodies falling. And when it's all over, five men are dead. In and around this little pit in the floor. That's right. Yeah, pretty. It's pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty good. Uh, I think if the the saga were better around it, I would mm-hmm. love that a whole lot more. <laughs> you know. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the, the the other one that I was thinking of was the bull. Uh, you know, we literally just talked about it, mm-hmm. so I don't think we need to refresh everyone's right. memory. But what a what an incredible <laughs> scene! I don't think we've seen anything like that before, where they they add something to uh, an another animal's head an offensive weapon to the bull's head yeah yeah, yeah. so I, I i really like that one just mm-hmm. for its uniqueness mm-hmm. and you know how i love the animal violence in these things i know you do and we we rarely give it to the animal violence yeah. um, i do think the pit fight is a really solid moment though yeah. i mean i i realize that i'm reading a little bit into it because once again our author gives us very little in the way of detail yeah. thorgils jumps down into the pit he's he's attacked and killed and the men begin stabbing down, and then we're just told both their brothers were killed, and two farmhands were killed as well, and Ronnie Goldhat was injured. Can I, I'll just point out the all that you said took a lot longer than what it would take right. to read it. I'll just read it for you, because it says, he leapt down into the pit, the brothers killed him there in the pit. The end. It's quite a fight. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I like the, the image. I like the, what it implies. Yeah. But the saga doesn't really give us enough to make this a winner. Yeah, which which is why I think what I would like to do, um, an honorable mention to the bull, but the ingenuity really is a Brold Helgi. <laughs> so we're going to give this award to Brold Helgi for... Bro, I think Brold Helgi and the bull can share this award. Okay, that's fair enough. Body, body count. count. All right, body count. And once again, not a lot of controversy here, uh, mainly because there isn't enough saga to get confused in. Uh, but... We do have uh, six confirmed kills. Mm-hmm. Anar Thorison, 
Thorgils Thorstensen, uh, Einar and Thorkel Thorfinsen, and two farmhands who aren't named. There are also two possibles, uh, two people who are mentioned as having died. Yeah, uh, older yeah I've got white. one. I, oh, I don't have Olvir on my list. Yeah, uh, Thorstein the White's father. Right? The is that in the he, first, very first chapter? Yeah, he passes away uh, right before. It's sort of the act that leads Thorstein to move to Iceland. Gotcha. Uh, we probably don't count that one because he apparently was an old man. And, oh, he's not really in the uh, saga either. Right. Yeah, well, he just, just sort of a... dies. You know, there's no particular reason that he dies apart from he just does. Okay. But uh, Ingebjörg is one that I think we should right. consider. Right. And Ingebjörg so was the... Uh, Thorstein's the, wife. Yeah, Thorstein. Yeah. And that that's kind of... We, we, we talked about it on the episode there, so we didn't talk about Olvir. Right. And when we count backwards from the end of the saga, right? you and I did this off the air. Mm-hmm. When we count backwards from the end of the saga, it's clear uh, that a lot of time passes. It's not exactly clear how much time, but a lot of time passes between the death of Ingebjörg and the end of the saga when Thorstein the White is very old and passes away. Right. Uh, and so that suggests that she dies ahead of her time. Mm-hmm. We don't know why, but something happens. She doesn't die of natural causes or of old age, at least. Right. It's yeah, some kind of untimely death mm-hmm. for her. So we usually count those. Um, she might be a little bit older, but it's right. unfortunate. Right. Where we're not counting Thorstein the White, because when you start putting the timeline on the saga together, you realize that he is probably 90 or older when he oh, finally yeah. dies. Yeah, quite old. Um, so... Uh, we should also add that there's one bull that gives us uh, <laughs> the neighbor's bull goes down right. thanks to Brod Helgi. Right. Um, so we've got seven deaths that we're and going to count. Bull. And one bull. All right. Um, now that leads us to our body count density measurement. Mm-hmm. How's that going to work out? It's going to be a short saga like this. Yeah, it's going to be a weird one. Mm-hmm. It is, uh, well, we've got a 0.39 profit kills to the seven deaths. Uh-huh. And that leads us with 17.94. <laughs> I think we just broke the uh, body count density measurement. <laughs> I mean, it's not, I mean, 17 is not a huge number. Right. But there aren't even 17 pages in this right. saga. <laughs> well, that's the problem, actually. Uh, yeah. All right. So, all right. seven dead. Nicknames. All right, it's time for nicknames. And while this saga does not have a lot of nicknames, in fact, as I was reading, I was able to keep track uh, mm-hmm. because it wasn't much of a burden this time. There are uh, quite a few repeaters in yep. here. We yep. get a lot of the same kinds of things, and they're fairly mm-hmm. straightforward. But I imagine you've got at least 20 minutes in you. <laughs> not close. Um, so no, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, this is a saga that does not offer a ton of great nicknames. Uh, we do get a handful of them along with the usual nicknames, like Brynjolf the Old, Olvir the White, Hrolf the Walker, who, as we said, is more usually called Rollo the Viking. But otherwise, there are only a few names worth going into. Uh, this is nevertheless an important saga for anyone who likes saga nicknames, by the way. Because right at the end of the saga, right after Brodhelgi gets his nickname, the author tells us, People thought then that having two names brought good fortune. It was common belief that people with two names lived longer. Yeah. It's a little bit of insight as to why nicknames were so popular. Mm-hmm. And unsurprisingly, it's a go-to line for people who are interested in the social impulse behind nickname usage. But... As for the actual names in the actual saga, our heroes, Thorstein the White and Thorstein the Fair, are obviously pretty disappointing. Uh, There isn't a lot of subtext about either name. Uh, We could go into a whole thing about color and meaning, but the White is a very widely used nickname in the sagas. Mm. Even in this micro-saga, there are three different men called the White. Yes. Uh, Besides Thorstein, we have his father, Olvir the White, and his father-in-law, Hrodgir the White. Did, did we say before that uh, someone with the nickname The White sometimes had like a really like a bleach blonde hair? Right. Could either have very light hair or in the case of Thorstein, might be a nickname that he gains with age. When he's older. Hmm. Uh, 
Or it could indicate, you know, particularly pale skin, or it can indicate a few things. Okay. Maybe even an article of clothing that was that he was associated with. But it's very common. Um, now, the fair is just a reference to Thorstein's light complexion or hair, not his character, uh, or possibly to his good looks. Uh, but we're not totally without interesting nicknames to talk about. I've managed to pull together five or so worth a look. So let's take Thorkel Fletter. Uh, Fletter is an interestingly indeterminate nickname, which is probably why it's left untranslated in the English edition of the saga. Mm-hmm. It means either Thorkel braids, as in braided or plaited hair. That's what I came up with, uh-huh, yeah. Or else Thorkel the plunderer. I did not see that one. Uh, because it means to strip away something, as in to rob. Uh, the braids translation is more likely, so we're left with a man whose braids must have looked like something special to become his defining characteristic. A Thorkel cornrows or Thorkel pigtails or something. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Broadhelgi. Now, as you suggested, we uh, kind of know what this nickname means because of the story at the end of the saga. This nickname translates to Spur Helgi. And it's a nickname referring to Helgi's animal cruelty when he attaches those ice spurs to the bull's head to watch it shred another bull to death. It's the kind of nickname that only really tells part of the story. Right? If all we had to go on here was the actual name we might assume that Helgi was a glacier-climbing enthusiast <laughs> or that he once used an ice spur in a fight. But the saga makes clear the nickname Spur Helgi is meant to tie him to unacceptable behavior. The saga says, Most people thought this was a dirty trick that Helgi had played, and from this incident he was then called Spur Helgi. So even if nicknames are supposed to be good luck, they can sometimes carry public censure along with them. Helgi's name is a warning that he won't necessarily play nicely with others. Yes. And that you probably shouldn't have him pet sit when you're out of town. Doesn't make him a bad guy. Uh, unless you think animal cruelty is bad. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> Prani Goldhat, or Gulhother. Uh, this really is literally Goldhat, which is the kind of nickname that just tickles me because there's no clear metonymic purpose behind it. It's possible that it's meant to be a joke about yellow hair. Uh, there are references in other sagas to men with golden yellow teeth, golden beards, or golden curls. Mm-hmm. But my temptation with a name like this is to take it absolutely literally. That this man had a gold-embossed helmet or a hat that he wore somewhat ostentatiously. Right? Like that gold-inlaid spear that Thorstein right. gives to Broad Helgi at the end. That gold-inlaid helmets exist as well. Mm-hmm. Steinbjörn Court. Uh, it's another nickname that's left untranslated. But this time I'm not sure why. There are a couple of possibilities for how to read Steinbjörn's name. Either as Court, Map, or as Kurt, Kurt or Short. The map name is almost certainly wrong uh, because of the vowel form, so we're left with short. Cleesby Vigvison, who is usually the go-to for translating, speculates that the nickname might mean shorthorn, somewhat in the same sense of the English nickname curthose or short pants to mean an undersized man. It's possible, but it's also worth noting the only real characteristic we learned about Steinbjörn is that he's bad with money. (laughs) He gets into debt with Thorstein the White and has to give him land to settle the bill. Yeah. So short here might have an economic meaning. Uh, the translator, Anthony Maxwell, uh, I think is having a bit of fun with that idea when he writes, Steinbjörn Court ran short of money. Ah. Little, little pun there. Nice there. And then finally, Kettle Thrym. Now, Thrymur is the name of a giant. Right? He's the antagonist in a comic myth who once stole Thor's hammer and tried to use it to blackmail the gods into giving him the goddess Freya in marriage. I won't spoil that story. It's called the Thrymskvida, and it's worth reading. Uh... But that doesn't tell us what thrym means. The word is literally something like alarm or noise, and is often used like alarum, uh, 
to mean a noise associated with struggle or violence. So Kettle's nickname means something like Battle Din or Clasher, which I have to say is a pretty cool nickname and a kind of yeah. 80s movie biker nickname. Well, it sounds like the kind of thing that Tolkien would have really right, loved. Right, right. Kettle the Crasher is a, is a pretty good nickname. Well, I just think Thrum sounds good for that, right. you know? Sure. Yeah. Uh, so... That's all we got. It's a short saga. Yeah, it is. Uh, I, I like uh, Thrum just because mm-hmm. it's it sounds cool. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm not going to let Ronnie Goldhead get out of here without a, a big Absolutely. gold reward. He's not getting a lot else in this saga except for a hand wound in the one fight he's in. And he's also not a per- good person. But no, he's not. He's got a good nickname. That's right. A gold star for the gold hat. <laughs> Notable witticisms. All right. Now, for a short saga, this has actually got quite a few good lines. Um, well, I mean, if you're thinking of a density measurement for... Yes, exactly. A density measurement, like the body count. But I, I think uh, they all happen almost on one page exclusively. Well, and they're mostly from the same person. So, uh, <laughs> right. let's get started. What do you got? Well, just for some diversity, mm-hmm. I'm going to... Uh, and, and we didn't talk about it when we, we did this uh, this moment in, in the uh, summary. But uh, when Thorstein kills Anar... Yeah. As the body falls forward... Remember, Anar is walking back into the house right. to go back to bed with Helga. Right. He falls forward with the spear coming out of his chest. And at that moment, Thorstein looks to the housemaid who suddenly appears. And he says, why don't you go ahead and help Anar along with his journey? <laughs> like back to bed, in other yeah, words? Yeah, help him back to bed. Nice. It's really not that great. Well, but again, it's a short saga. I've got another one from Thorstein and Anar. Uh, right before that, uh-huh. uh, when Thorstein confronts him and says, I want, I want compensation for your having made verses about me. Oh, right? yeah. Scurvy. Uh, Anar says... Why don't you go and collect first from all the others who laughed at you? I'll compensate you when they do. Which I kind of like as a dig. I kind of like it too. Like it's, it's a good dig. You know, yeah, it wasn't just me laughing at you. Everyone was laughing at you. Yeah. Now onto the meat and potatoes. If, all right, if let's we do it. Um, so I think pretty much everything else we're going to do comes in a quick string mm-hmm. when Thorstein arrives at Thorstein's house. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is the moment when Thorstein the White becomes just a, uh, a late night comic. <laughs> well, yeah. So when Thorstein the Fair comes yes. back and he's going to visit uh, Thorstein the White's mm-hmm. house, Brodhelgi invites him to come in. Right. So I'm just going to read what the saga says. Thorstein Thorfinson and his men went inside. Thorstein the White smelled the stench of merchants and the asked who had come. The stench of merchants. I just love that idea. It's very nice. I, I, <laughs> merchants must stink because they right. just come off of the ships. It's not like right. they're running to the shower. But it's a nice moment also, right? Uh, Thorstein, remember, has lost his sight. Yeah. Uh, but you know, he's still able to sort of keep track of what's going on around him. Yeah. But in this case, right, he has to wait until the smell of these people hits him. Mm-hmm. And of course, they smell like like the sea and undoubtedly yes. like not very washed bodies. Yeah, because I, yeah, I would imagine his farmhands don't smell great either. Right. And Or does he smell that but good? But not salty. But not salty. There's a, a certain mm-hmm. smell there. So yeah, I, I I just like that one. Yeah. That's really the more the the author yeah. than than anything. Yeah. But uh, well, then let's give one. Thorstein the White a chance to actually shine. All right. Um, when uh, Thorstein the Fair asks if he can please compensate Thorstein the White for the loss of his son Thorgils, and says, you know, I'm not short of money, and I can give you a compensation that's never been matched in Iceland. Your son would be very well compensated. And Thorstein the White said, I have no desire to have my son Thorgils in a purse. Yeah. That, I really like that yeah, one. Yeah, it's a good one. Uh, you know, what I really like about that, it's a cutting line, and it, it, it really emphasizes the true cost of, of mm-hmm. losing a loved one, and that the, the whole notion of compensation, right. uh, while it, you know, it works in the sagas, um, I think oftentimes we see that it doesn't really work all that well, that there's an emotional cost that is, is something you can't pay for. It's also Thorstein's pride at work, right? I mean, mm. this is, um, he's asserting that even if, 
he can't necessarily take violent revenge for his son. He's not interested in financial compensation. Uh, right? I mean, remember, this is, a, this is a chieftain. This is a man who's had a very successful career. Right? Mm-hmm. He may be old and he may be blind now, but that doesn't mean that he wants to uh, give up on the idea of revenge for his son. Even yeah. He can't himself take it. Yeah, so uh, do you have any more? Is that it? Uh, no, there's one more. Okay. Uh, after Thorstein the, the White turns down the financial compensation, Thorstein the Fair, in a kind of uh, desperation move, or in a move that shows his determination to find a settlement, leans down, kneels down, and places his head on Thorstein the White's lap. Now, Thorstein the White takes that as an offer of Thorstein the Fair's head, which it may or may not be. That's not entirely clear. But he says, I don't want to have your head struck from your shoulders. Ears fit best where they grow. Hmm. And, and that's a, I'm assuming that's a proverb. Yes, it's right? got to be. Yeah. So, so what do you think? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I like that one. I think it's it's cute, that mm-hmm. one. But uh, son in a purse son for me. Son in a purse. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's got to be it. Yeah. Congratulations, Thorstein. I know it doesn't replace your son, but uh, right. it's uh, some consolation. You don't have to carry this award around in a purse. Because <laughs> it's not really anything. Right. <laughs> Oh, Lori. Again, very short saga. Yep. Not a whole lot of candidates, not even really significant villains in it. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think two men emerge, yeah. f- even from their initial descriptions, as the kind of guys we would typically target. Mm-hmm. Thorstein um, the White and Thorstein the Fair. No. I think you're in the Thingman section already. <laughs> Actually, no. I can make an argument for you. Well, I'm going to argue that Einar and Ronnie Goldhat yeah. uh, no, are, the those are the two candidates. obvious candidates there. Uh, Einar is guilty of... Making fun of someone with scurvy. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. How dare he? Mm-hmm. He's making fun of a fellow Icelander in front of Norwegians, of all people. Right. Who said is more of a, it's a social faux pas than anything else. But yeah. It's, it's something that Icelanders seem to take fairly seriously. But what I take very seriously mm-hmm. is him taking uh, Helga. Right. He breaks the engagement between Thorstein and Helga. Yeah. And he does it through a series of lies that include bribing a Norwegian to back up his lie. Yeah. Uh, it includes bringing the threat of violence to bear against mm-hmm. his putative father-in-law. Uh, he really goes out of his way, and this, the saga goes out of the way to demonstrate that this is a wrong act. Absolutely. And I think what's what's also interesting about this, and this isn't so much about uh, you know why he should be outlawed, but we didn't talk about it earlier. Um, there's no indication elsewhere in the saga that Einar has the hots for Helga, uh, right. or that he wants to steal her from Thorstein for any right. particular vendetta against Thorstein himself. I think they're, and not even for love of Helga particularly. Absolutely not. What seems to be the case is Einar is an opportunist, mm-hmm. and what he sees is an opportunity to take the woman who's getting a, a very large inheritance. Right, right. The saga explicitly says that she is the best match in the Fjallstad district. Mm-hmm. And it's partly because of the wealth she's going to inherit and partly because of her beauty. Yes. Uh, but Einar seems to be a man with eyes for the wealth. Absolutely. So he manipulates his way into that mm-hmm. marriage, and it doesn't turn out so well for him. Not really, no. No. Oh, well. Uh, what about Ronnie Goldhat? Well, Ronnie Goldhat is really just more of an instigator, right? He, yeah. He's always whispering into people's ears. He's the kind of person who... Always, just once, really. Well, I mean, once. <laughs> uh, he's, he's the kind of person who causes trouble and then exacerbates that trouble. Exactly. Right? And again, he's the kind of figure that you see in a lot of sagas. A lesser man, right? A man who sort of talks a good game, but is always in the back when the actual fighting happens. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's significant that he's the one who takes only a hand wound in that battle in the house when five other men die. Right. right. Thorgils shows himself to be a man of action. He leaps into that hole. Now, not perhaps a smart man of action. <laughs> I was going to say, he's uh, not the But brightest. a man of action where yeah. uh, Hrani is just sort of poking from behind 
and managed to get a little wound on his hand, but that's yeah. about it. Yeah. Uh, but yes, he's an instigator and a troublemaker. Yeah, I don't know I don't if that's know enough. That he's, yeah, right. yeah. Anar is clearly a villainous figure who clearly is punishable by law. Absolutely. And again, in a bigger saga, maybe Anar would, you know, we just give him a slap on the hand. Right. But how about minor outlawry? Oh, I think outlawry for him. Let's do it. Full outlawry. Let's do it. Full outlawry. See you later. Throw the book at him. Let's as get soon to as they some, write a law book. Let's talk about some better men, shall we? Big men. Uh, so now, at this moment, we see the nefarious genius of Andy. I'm loosening who, it up. Despite having won the coin toss last time, chose to defer on Yal Saga, knowing that there were half a dozen good men, at least three or four great figures to choose from for Thingmen. Uh, and so, while I got Nyal, he got Kari. Both of us got excellent figures. Mm-hmm. But now we come to the other half of his plan. Thorstein the White Saga offers very little. Next to nothing, one might say. Next to nothing. Even so, choosing first, I'm I'm conflicted. Right, you're not. <laughs> I'm like, uh, you're not you're not necessarily getting anything great. But I'm really worried about having to pick second. So why don't you go ahead and let us know what you want, and then uh, I'll take from the remaining options. I think you'll be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the obvious choices are Thorstein the White, who's mm-hmm. the the eponymous figure of this uh, of this saga. Mm-hmm. He doesn't do anything, really, mm-hmm. uh, in the saga, but it's suggested that he is a man of some influence. Um, we don't see that influence in action, uh, but he's a man of influence, and so that could be an appealing kind of thing. Sure. He's also seems kind of peaceful and wise. Mm-hmm. Um, Thorstein the Fair is a successful young man, so he seems mm-hmm. slightly more attractive, I think, than, than Thorstein the White, because we actually see him active in the saga. Um, he's able to uh, complete a, a vendetta when he needs to. Okay. He uh, shrugs off the death of his brothers pretty mm-hmm. calmly and casually, so clearly not uh, overwhelmed by his emotions. <laughs> um, Fair. Uh, and also, he's uh, he's a, a calm, peaceful individual as well who who does what's right in the end mm-hmm. when he goes and and serves Thorstein the White. Um, so he makes a, a very very attractive candidate. Mm-hmm. There's someone else, however. There is uh, Brodhelgi in this saga. And Brodhelgi is an interesting individual. And I'm very tempted to take Brodhelgi. But? Um, but unfortunately, John and I agreed that because Brodhelgi is in the next saga as a major figure, mm-hmm. that it's more appropriate to leave him there. Right. At this particular moment, thinking of Thorstein the Fair and Thorstein the White, <laughs> I kind of regret that decision. <laughs> Because I would take Brod Helgi. Not that bad. I, they, well, they're not great either. But I, w- I would take Brod Helgi if uh, if he mm-hmm. was on the table for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, but sadly, no. Um, what do you think about maybe just going back to Njalsaga and picking another candidate from there? <laughs> you know, people wanted us to pick two. Sure. Now's a good opportunity to just yeah. kind of slip back. We could get we could get Gunnar and Scarpathen, who we had to leave behind. Yeah. Right. And no. No. That's not how this works. So I've got to pick, really, from Thorstein the Fair and Thorstein the White. Well, I mean, unless you decide that you want Ronnie Goldhat, he's still available. We didn't outlaw him. No, I don't need him. Um, I, if that's the situation, I'm going to choose. i got to make sure I got these right. <laughs> I want the younger one. I'm going to take Thorstein the Fair. <laughs> the younger one. <laughs> Clearly, you feel strongly about this. Yeah, I, I can guarantee in the quarter court, I'm not going to be touting uh, Thorstein the Fair as one of the, the prime thingmen. Mm-hmm. Well... I have to say, uh, I'm a little bit surprised. Yeah. Uh, because Thorstein the Fair is, a, I think, a fairly questionable figure. Mm. Uh, he See? commits 
He commits a total of one killing in this saga, and it's when he stabs a man in the back. Nah. Uh, at the end of the saga, he flees Iceland to avoid the wrath of a teenager. Uh, it's a growing teenager, and understood. I think we've seen enough sagas where understood. where young men of various saying, ages. I'm not can saying be dangerous. he's a bad choice, right? This is a this is a saga with very few good choices. Then why are you spending uh, time undercutting my choice? Because I'm going to now segue into my choice, oh. which clearly is Thorstein the White. And I'm actually pretty happy with my option here. Yeah, we talked about Thorstein the White's strength of character during the summary, but we kind of glossed over his longevity. Uh, According to Landnama book, Thorstein spends 70 years farming in Iceland. Mm. And that's after he's already reached adulthood. So this is a venerable man we're talking about, at least in his mid to late 80s, probably 90 by the time he dies. He doesn't have to be venerable. He just exists. Well, 90 is still a healthy age for he's, a man to he's reach. He's going to be a great And man. he's described... Um, as a wise, good, and powerful man. I did I would say call that. that venerable. I acknowledge that. Uh, so this is a venerable man we're talking about. He's a man. Uh, and he's blind for the new, at least the last 20 years of his life, and yet he continues to farm. And at his death, what everybody remembers about him is that wisdom, right? is that goodness. Remember, he's a chieftain as well, uh, a leader in the community. And that's the kind of man I want on my side. Resourceful, <laughs> independent, firm of character. I'm quite pleased to make room in my hall for the badass white-haired octogenarian Thorstein the White. <laughs> <laughs> okay, enjoy yourself. Yep. <laughs> I, I'm just curious, if I had chosen uh, Thorstein the White myself, mm-hmm. would you have tried to undercut him and call him old and useless? Of course. <laughs> okay. Just this is a contest be, we're involved in here. Just to be clear. All I right. could absolutely have made a case for Thorstein the Fair. Well, I can make a case for both, too. Yep. And I did. Mm-hmm. And I chose one. Then you try to make me feel bad about it. <laughs> Final, Final rating. So uh, here we are. We, we've chosen our thingman. We've outlawed people. We've given out our best bloodshed and all the other awards. It is time to find out what John and Andy think of. I just referred to myself in the third person. Yeah, you shouldn't do that. It's, it's time to strange. find out what John and I there think of Thorstein the White Saga. Well, John thinks. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was thinking about this. Uh, and... I knew we were going to be recording this at the uh, at the conference, and so while I've been wandering around, I've been sort of mulling this over. Mm-hmm. I can't decide whether this is the easiest or the hardest saga we've rated so far. Hmm. Uh, I, I mean, as a story, Thorstein the White has everything I ask for in a saga. Right? And as a central conflict that draws in the outside community, it has men of character on both sides, it has villains who are depressingly human rather than dastardly, and it has a couple of satisfying fights. I mean, that bloodbath in the shallow pit at Thorbjorn's house, it's a nice set piece. It's the saga author doesn't do much with it, but it's a nice concept. Or it's a nice yeah. set piece for a saga. You could say that the, the saga has to live in your imagination. Yes. Because there's not enough on the page. That's exactly the problem. Right? Uh, we've even got a little bit of animal cruelty in there, which I know is exciting for Andy. I don't like uh, animal cruelty. I know you don't. I know what you like. Uh, I like a, animals in sagas. Right. Now, on the other hand, and I think this is exactly what we're getting at here, where Thorstein the White comes up short is in the character details. It really is a bare-bones story. And the author routinely resorts to just telling us the character of the men rather than showing it to us. Uh, Thorstein the Fair is essentially a cipher until the end of the story when he's told that he, when we're told that he's a most valiant man. Before that, he's a scurvy victim whose only killing comes when he stabs a man in the back. How many teeth does he have when he's my thingman? Well, that's a good question. They're just loose. Uh, <laughs> and I have to say, Thorstein the White, my, my thingman, isn't much better. Right? He's a shrewd businessman and farmer whose primary operating characteristic is his blindness until he dies, and then we're told that he was a powerful chieftain. We have, we have to actually go to Lanama book to learn that he's also thought wise and good. 
Now, in some very important ways, this is an excellent introduction to the sagas. It's certainly more typical than Hrabenkill's saga, which is many people's point of entry into the sagas, because this is a saga in miniature. It's like a Fabergé egg if Fabergé eggs were bloody feuds between bearded men with axes. But ultimately, this saga is just workmanlike. It hits all the right points, and it's a fun read, but it lacks those little touches that set great sagas apart from good ones. Mm-hmm. I honestly think it's probably about like a four, four and a half, but I'll give it an extra point for being a ship in a bottle of sagas. So let's call it five and a half. Whoa. How about you, Andy? Five and a half for this? Yep. I'm shocked. I'm really <laughs> shocked. Go on. Uh, you know, I think the saga reads well enough, mm-hmm. but it's barely a sketch of a saga. Mm-hmm. There's just not enough going on to really make it pop for me. Right. It's a bonsai um, tree of a saga. Yeah, but a bonsai tree has some artistry to it. You know, there's some effort. It's a bonsai um, bush of a saga. I think it's it's a it's a a child's drawing of a bonsai tree <laughs> of a saga. <laughs> it has one interesting episode: the battle at the Sheeling, uh, a few decent lines in the exchange between the two Thorsteins. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm at a loss to explain what the saga truly has to offer. Now I can. I shouldn't say I'm at a loss. It's got some things that I could play with with uh, betrothal customs. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got some stuff about uh, forgiveness and mercy versus bloodshed. But none of that's developed very much. Um, I, I do like the head on the knee piece and the subsequent forgiveness that comes is cool. I like the teasing of Brodhelgi. Uh, yeah, I think if it was appended to the beginning of Vatnafirda saga, then then I think, well, first of all, we wouldn't care too much about it. We would just say, here are the themes that it's establishing. Right. On its own, I, I don't think it really it really holds very mm-hmm. well. Um, I, I don't know. Not a great saga. Mm-hmm. Uh, I give it a three. Why do we bother reading it? <laughs> because it's one of the sagas of the Icelanders. And that's all. So that's a combined score of eight and a half. Yeah, not uh, that five good. Five and a half for me, three from you. Oh, I can't believe you gave it a five and a half. I can't believe you gave it a three. I mean, you're uh, very generous. Well, so I'm just going to remind you of some of your previous scores, if I may, since you like to do this to me. You gave Saga of the Greenlanders mm-hmm. uh, four point five. Yep. So this is better than the Saga of the Greenlanders. As a saga, yes. Mm. Saga of the Greenlanders lacks structure. But it had a lot more interesting episodes mm. and things going this on. It's got structure. Mm, interesting. I really do think this is the kind of thing you can show people if you want to sort of give them a sense of what sagas are about and then get them involved in more exciting sagas, better sagas. You also gave Finn Bogey the Strong a five. Yeah. So this tiny little soglet... I'm, I'm judging is, them individually, so not there's comparatively. A, oh, no. So, okay, so there's no... There's no actual spectrum upon which you place these sagas. No, I think you, you rate each one of these sagas based on how well they do the thing they set out to do. Mm-hmm. I'm not compa- you can't compare Finboi's saga with this saga with Greenlander's saga. They're three very different kinds of saga doing three, three very different kinds of things. I mean, if we're, if we're doing that, if we were really comparing all these sagas to each other, Ael, Gisli, Gretir, and Njal would be somewhere around nine or ten. Everything else would be a three. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't it doesn't make any sense to judge them in comparison to each other. Each one of them is its own work. As the work that this is, which is essentially again a saga in miniature, it's about a five and a half. Okay. It does a mediocre job of providing you with all the things a saga needs. <laughs> which is a fair point. So you give it a five point five, I give it a three, eight point five, and that brings us to the end, at long last. Yes. From this one episode. Gigantic saga. Boom. Done. 
Take that, everybody. That's progress. Right. The new the new look of saga thing. <laughs> Knocking out a saga. The new look, look much <laughs> like the old look. Right. The really old look. All right. It's been a long conference. We're both tired. Mm-hmm. But uh, thanks for listening to this. Our uh, next we hope saga. our voices weren't too creaky for you. <laughs> uh, as I said, uh, our next saga is going to be the uh, Vapenfjordinga saga. Yes, it is, uh, which is going to make sense because it's going to very much follow on the heels of this saga. So, as always, you can get in touch with us at Saga Thing Pod on Twitter, mm-hmm. Saga Thing Podcast on Facebook, and you can email us at sagathingpodcast at gmail.com. Right. Or you can register for next year's Kalamazoo Conference, where we'll be here in 2018, uh, once again, hopefully recording an episode and otherwise running around and doing saga-related nonsense. That's right. So, thanks for listening, everybody. And bye for now. When, uh, when Anar, so, well, well, when Anar turns, <laughs> I was trying to, well, 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 I was trying well. to, <laughs>